everyone, and welcome to episode 135 of Top Tier, the podcast from Fun With Cars. Today we discuss the German Grand Prix from the Nürburgring. I am not Jim Lau. I am Jim Lau. Yeah. Who are you? I'm Robin Warder. I was just having fun with the fact that you did a whole podcast without me, made me feel all alone and insignificant, and proved once again how worthless I am. I made you feel all alone. I was the guy with the microphones, although I did have help from the kilt, so yes, life and was Yes, the kilt was fun. did a top-notch job, it must be said. And uh, I have to ask you, since I know you didn't know I was going to do that, what do you think of the new name? Hey, man, that's that's totally a new name. That's, that's new, right? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm deciding how I feel about that, but I think it's, <laughs> that that has some potential. Well, the name may continue to be new as we move forward, or it may go away completely. But I just thought, you know what? Discussion using your brain—that's all a waste of time. You got to go with your gut, and my gut told me to just say it. Well, there you go. And there it is. But we are here to talk about the German Grand Prix. That did happen. And I actually got to watch it. That was kind of neat. Totally a benefit. Yeah, so I guess last time, in addition to not being able to podcast with me, um, you actually weren't able to even watch. You see, we were just able to read about the race, not even see the, the British Grand Prix, the spectacle that was unfold. I did not get to watch British Grand Prix. I did get to watch a few minutes of highlights of the British Grand Prix, so some of it was visual stimulation. But the vast majority of it was simply reading about it and uh, picking up little bits here and there. Um, the thing that I heard about first and foremost was the tire schmazzle and how them things be breaking. And <laughs> yeah, people weren't happy that, about that. That was pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, and there, that was, of course, the talk in the, uh, in, in, the, in the week we had, you know, between races here, not very much time at all, um, was all this back and forth about Pirelli and said, okay, first of all, at the young driver test, we'll be able to use... Um, not young drivers, um, you know, any drivers, but they can only do the very specific tire testing. They can't develop anything else on the car because we don't want this to be a whole big, you know, actual test. And then even that restriction was relaxed and said, okay, whatever, just test what you need to, but we really need you guys to test these tires uh, because there's been all this back and forth about, um, you know, what it really comes down to for Pirelli is like, we can build you a tire that, that does certain things, but we need to be able to test it. You know, I don't, no, nobody right. just out of the gate can just come up with something without any kind of testing and just expect it to work perfectly. I mean, that's, that's what, you know, a lot of yours and my jobs are, testing <laughs> things and seeing if <laughs> exactly they do what they right. say they do and figuring out what it is they actually do in the real world separate from what their designers intended them to do. So um, I think that's sort of been understood as like Pirelli has finally said, okay, you guys, seriously, to the, the FIA, we need to be able to test these cars. We need to have a representative vehicle. We had this, you know, some secret tests and that caused its whole own, you know, fury and, and whatnot. But uh, let's figure this out. So at least they're making steps to that. So what we ended up uh, getting was a reintroduction of the te of the tires um, for Germany that were um, being tested in England and, and potentially to be run in England. Right. And um, the big difference between them was getting rid of the steel belts that hold the thing together and reintroducing Kevlar belts, which has a cooler name to it. Steel belts are in your regular old street tire. But they also have the added benefit of not absorbing and retaining as much heat as these steel belts, which means the tires can run a little bit cooler, which helps keep yeah. the loads and the heat cycles a little lighter. And, you know, we have a very different track uh, from Silverstone to the Nürburgring this weekend with the, the Grand Prix circuit. Um, and I guess we can go ahead and say we did not have any spectacular tire failures that were tires coming apart. Uh, we had different different cars able to use the tires to different levels of effectiveness. Right. And uh, one out-of-control tire at one point uh, that uh, ended up knocking somebody over pretty forcefully. That one we can say 
pretty solidly was not Prelly's fault. Uh, someone probably will still think that that was. But someone might. Who knows? <laughs> People always be thinking stuff, and, and who knows? But um, so, I mean, at least I guess we got to a point with the uh, with the Pirellis that, okay, we have something we can race. There was a, at one point a threat of a driver boycott. I'm really, really glad that that didn't go any farther than it did, which is just sort of something that was talked about because that is just sort of a, a weird losing situation for everyone. Of course, the last time, the, the closest thing to what happened there was the 05 U.S. Grand Prix, uh, which, of course, is, is you know geographically and sort of spiritually closer to us and certainly something that's in our minds right. of, of a, a sort of talk about leaving a bad taste in your mouth of, of a you know race in the U.S. market and the whole thing, and, and I think that did a lot of damage to the uh, reputation for F1 in the U.S. I don't think that Germany would all of a sudden stop caring about F1 if they had this driver boycott, but it raises these weird questions of is it is it the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do then for certain teams to say, well, we don't care. We think our driver is good enough to right. see if there's a problem well, and react to it. Or and it definitely whatever. that situation was more complicated in that if you're going 190-plus miles an hour and you lose a tire and there's a big bad wall right there, that that can be a bad hygiene accident. Whereas if you're on a road course where tires can go off or go down, regardless of the tire itself, it's not like it's guaranteed to be safe, but it is inherently a more safe situation than Indy was specifically. Right. And But you're absolutely right, and I completely agree with you. The uh, driver boycott was a bit of bark and not so much bite, in my opinion, and proved to be the case anyway because what are you going to do? You're, you're every, all the drivers are not going not gonna to drive, and they'll all agree to that. And then one driver will say, no, I'll drive. Like, I don't know, Kimi Raikkonen, for example, right. who came out and officially said that. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, what you're going to get is you're going to get seven or eight drivers driving and just completely screwed up race results. And it won't be as much fun and it won't be cool. And then that will put a blemish on uh, the German Grand Prix's otherwise lovely complexion. Yeah, or, or I think the whole thing is, is the threat. And so as soon as you have a few people, even one person, if, 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 if all the drivers except Kimi Räikkönen who said, oh, I'm on principle, I'm not going to drive. And Kimi's like, well, shoot, I'll drive. <laughs> yeah, right. And then he just, like, either they have a single car race, which is dumb. Um, I mean, a little bit yeah. cool. It but... would be a little <laughs> awesome, actually, but yes. Um, but, but generally dumb. Um, you know, as soon as, as soon as they hear, oh, well, someone is going to drive, then why wouldn't, if not any, everyone, if not anyone else, probably everyone else say, well, well, shoot, if we're going to drive, okay, well, let's, let's do this and we'll be careful. Like, you know, it only works if everyone is on board. Right. And I think a result of this is that um, it did show that the drivers really don't have as much power as you might think in Formula One. I mean, there is well, a Grand Prix Drivers Association, and it's like... I disagree slightly. I, I think if something were truly at issue, and it really was a safety thing, the drivers having this group, and they could actually unite and say, no, we really want to do, do something... The drivers do collectively have a lot of control. They can probably stop something from happening if they really don't want it to happen. They're really united. But this wasn't the case. This was this was a gray area case at best. Yeah, although I don't know if they would. If I mean, what what it would take where the drivers would really be the force behind this needs to happen. You know, we need to all whatever. I mean, in, in a case, a couple of the other t- things regarding tires were that Pirelli put 
uh, limits on camber angles that you can run and tire pressures that you can run. Right. And don't, uh, you're not able to swap lefts and rights, which was weird that they sort of either allowed that or sort of gave that their blessing in the first place. I feel like that was part of the problem, um, you know, from my understanding is that was part of the problem with uh, tires at Silverstone. There was and probably a bit of, well, they'll never do it anyway, so just let them do whatever they want. And the team's like, oh, look, we could swap this to this because this tire, this inside tire gets a lot less load than this outside tire. And, of course, by inside, I mean, you know, if it's a clockwise, clockwise track, the, there's going to be more uh, right-hand corners than left and so on and so forth. Right. Uh, so, so that, first of all, it seems weird that Pirelli would sort of be like, yeah, yeah, go ahead and do that. It's sort of like if it's a left tire, like this tire is made for the, the left-hand side of the car and the rear, it's like only run that on the left rear. Don't run that on the, left, on the right rear because then that's like just it sort of doubles the amount of testing you have to do to determine how will this perform and will it be safe and what, what happens if it goes wrong or whatever. It's sort of like why even go down that road? So, um, so anyway, the, so Pirelli through the FIA was able to say – you know, these are the the rules for this weekend about the tires, and I, right. I don't I haven't seen if they've if they've scrutinized all the cars to see if they met those pressures and stuff. And I think they have data to, to pretty well confirm that. But if someone doesn't follow those rules, presumably the FIA would be able to give them some kind of penalty or even exclude them and say, hey, you didn't follow the rules. If it's like, you know, tomorrow found out or, or somehow tonight, you know, they look at Vettel's car and they say, oh, look, your pressures were, were under the minimum. Um, you know, there's there's probably some. Uh, some rule with the FIA because it's sort of, you know, Pirelli had that channel through the FIA to be able to say, this is the rule. And I guess the question is, would the drivers have the ability like Pirelli did? I mean, w- you know, collectively to say, okay, we, we agree that, you know, this is okay. We have to, um, you know, all, whether it's something like a tire pressure or, um, you know, something, okay, we all have to have to meet this certain thing or, or you know, this, um, you know, go a certain speed through the chicane or whatever. I mean, there's no, um, I don't. I don't see that the drivers necessarily do have that power, and I guess you know they wouldn't right up until they uh, they need to exercise it, and which we haven't seen them really exercise um, or right. need to. Well, and in, and the vast majority of time, everyone truly is on the same page when it comes to driver safety. No one, no one, no one wants to bear the responsibility of truly putting these guys in a risky situation, especially considering that they are getting quite close to 20 years without a death in the sport. Uh, death in the drivers, at least of uh, the sport. The the I, the poor uh, system has become ironically more dangerous for crew members than it has for the drivers itself in many ways, and so you know everyone's safety is high on uh, <laughs> everyone's safety is high on everyone's list. There are going to be, I think, some circumstances where the drivers. Uh, a safety concern could come up and the drivers are going to be the ones to have to take a stand because historically the drivers were the ones that took the most risk and were fairly blasé about the risk. So if the drivers are the ones coming on saying, no, this is a risky situation, we don't like it, and they are truly unanimous on that, that's where they would hold the power. So it's a pretty specific set of circumstances that it would uh, happen. And I think you and I both agree that this this most recent occurrence wasn't an example of that. Um, but I have to say, uh, getting back to kind of the basic point, God, I was bummed out that I missed the British Grand Prix and didn't get to watch podcasts with you and didn't get to, didn't get to watch the race with you and podcast with you and uh, didn't get to see what looked like the best race of the year, at least up until this weekend, because this was a pretty darn fantastic race. Yeah, we had we had some good on track action this race, and uh, so I was pleased to see uh, Hamilton back on top on pole position. Um, 
in a in a bizarre um you know, miscalculation on Mercedes' part where Rosberg's time, you know, they thought would be fine in Q2, and then he just slipped down, slipped down, slipped down the grid, ended up um, not advancing from Q2 as he sat yeah. in the garage. Yeah, that was that was totally bizarre and very unfortunate because the times really just seemed to do just straight evaporate. It's like, wow, everyone is all of a sudden quite a lot faster. And it almost seems like there is, to a certain degree, a fair amount of, like, calculated sandbagging that goes on in uh, in Q1. And then definitely by the time you get to Q2, it's like, okay, uh, you need some guys really need to let it out and go for give as much as they can. And other teams are still sort of a little kind of sandbagging, you know, because it was there's was talk of like, oh, there's more time than that. There, that was that was being announced even as Q2 times were coming in and the checkered flag had already flown. Yeah. So it's a bizarre thing. I'm totally with you. What happened to Nico Rosberg was totally it was very unfortunate, and um, he once again showed a lot of professionalism in the way he handled it. He was interviewed right afterwards, and he said, "Hey, it happens. It was bad luck. What are you gonna do?" Not a I don't know what the team was thinking. This sucks. You know, there's nothing like that, and good for him. Yeah, and you know, in his defense, I guess the 11th spot um, certainly. You know, he has the pick of tires and and whatnot, and he's not that far back down the grid. So it could be, you know, you can every once in a while get clever from that position as opposed to having to run onto the, onto the softs uh, into Q3 and then uh, and then start there and have to you know potentially have a compromised race. But um, in in race trim, I mean, he wasn't able to. Uh, where they capitalize and make awesome stuff happen. I mean, that has been the Mercedes thing, is that over a single lap, it can do amazing things, but under, you know, actual race conditions and full of fuel and whatnot, it just doesn't, you know, isn't able to hold up as well in either Hamilton or Rosberg's hands. Well, it is truly remarkable, uh, going back to the tire, how much the tire itself can have an effect on the performance of the car, which means the your performance relative to everybody else's is largely dependent on what Pirelli decides to do these days. And... You know, again, it takes unanimous decisions from the team to a certain extent to allow decisions to be made. But at this point, because of what happened in the British Grand Prix, their hand was kind of forced. So I think it's pretty fair to say that Mercedes was hurt by this uh, slight change in the tire construction going to the Kevlar belts again, and that uh, Lotus was helped by it. Yeah, um, which, I mean, yeah, for the race, certainly. Um, but the, you know, it's, it's sort of amazing Hamilton's story of qualifying. It was like, you know, he was really uh, off the mark in practice sessions right up through practice three, you know, right. Saturday morning. Right. And was just like, this is not working. I need to make a major change. And, you know, the, oftentimes that is a risky gamble because again, the testing and being able to try it out and whatever. So to be able to go from Saturday morning saying, I'm not happy with the car at all. I'm not getting what I need to do. Um, then making a major change and then coming back the next day and getting pole, is not not entirely unheard of, but that's very rare that it works out that well. Right. So clearly he was able to make it work over a single lap. But yeah, in the race it just it, it started off poorly, you know, getting passed by two Red Bulls and just kind of went on from there. Right. For uh, for Hamilton and Rosberg was just, um, you know, he was able to to claw up some positions and end up sixth. But um, or sorry, that's in the, in the championship uh, in ninth in the race. Yeah. Ugh, not not what so a, brilliant. What a start to the race it was. I mean, Hamilton tried to go for a chop. On the inside to block Vettel didn't work. Vettel had too good of a launch to uh, to make that happen, and and then completely unpredictably, Mark Webber had an excellent Mark start. Mark Webber had a good start. Mark was almost ahead of Vettel by the time they were approaching the turn one hairpin, mm-hmm. and I'm sure there was a big part of Webber that really wanted to come out on top there, but you know he had to 
he had to, you know, get through the turn. So it just didn't work out. But yeah, the Red Bulls just basically owned Hamilton in that uh, in that start, and that was unfortunate. I really have to say that uh, I think Hamilton's chop attempt hurt him more than it helped him. Yeah, and it's it's a little hard to say how much different it would have been if he had just gone straight, uh, or if it was you know he slipped the clutch a little bit wrong, or or just whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, so right as they were throwing up for the grid, there was a radio message to Mark about, hey, if if you know if we start to get some wheel slim, you know, just, just stay in the throttle and whatever. It was almost like you know this really simple advice, um, which uh, and then it's and then magically after that he has an excellent start and it's like yeah. oh great. Well, um, then though Red Bull has the has the problem of Weber doing well. Um, and so then they have to come up with some way <laughs> exactly. to try and slow him down because they're like, we don't really want Weber to, to come back and challenge Vettel and, and potentially, you know, risk our, our boy, uh, uh, you know, uh, our, our golden boy Vettel, you know, looking anything but, but excellent. Yeah, they so, looked at this. They said, oh, Mark has already won this race, and he actually is pretty good, so. And he's certainly not German, and he's not our favorite guy in the team, so we need to slow him down somehow. And they found out they came up with actually a fairly dangerous way of doing that. Yeah, so uh, Mark Webber pulled in for his first pit stop uh, pretty early on, you know, as most people did with his soft tires. They did not last long uh, when these cars were full of fuel. But anyway, uh, they were successfully able to change three out of four of Webber's tires. Fourth one was never securely bolted on. Despite that, uh, Webber was released, and the wheel pretty much immediately slipped right off the car, which... In some ways, you could argue argue is a good thing uh, that it wasn't at some high speed part of the track that he had a problem. But although there are usually fewer people around at the high speed parts of the track, and, and that's there exactly are lots of people around in the pits. We had uh, plenty of people around in the pits. Uh, poor, uh, I don't know, I don't remember the guy's name, but there was a cameraman that uh, Paul was, Allen actually, not the Microsoft Paul Allen, but a different guy. Paul that uh, Mr. Allen was facing the other way, had no idea the tire was coming, got whacked in the back pretty hard. Knocked him right over because wheels and tires, they're, you know, despite being very light compared to the street version of a wheel and tire, still a pretty darn heavy part of the car. And those things have lots of energy when they get spinning. And so this thing had tons of momentum and knocked Paul Allen right over and, uh, you know, ended up sending him to the hospital. Yeah, so he apparently has uh, broken bones and uh, bruising, as one would expect. But uh, is otherwise like conscious and okay, and you know probably will be will be just fine. He's being treated in the hospital in Koblenz of all places. Um, and Jim says Koblenz of all places because that is where I spent a couple of weeks of my life last year. Yes, and he's got photos to prove it. Yes, so, um, but uh, so it anyway, technically, I have to say, if there's anyone from Germany that's watching it, it technically wasn't Koblenz. It's a small town right next to Koblenz, but. Okay. See, no one would have known, though, unless you had... Oh, I mean, not that. It was Koblenz. Or whatever. Um, <laughs> it's somewhere in Europe. I don't know. It's all the same. Uh, <laughs> so, but anyway, no, no crazy, super serious injuries. But anyway, so uh, we back onto, uh, onto the race. Um, Felipe Massa had an interesting retirement. That was actually on lap three. Yeah. And we didn't really see a replay or anything because there wasn't really anything to show. He was driving, and he spun, and then he was done. And there was no damage to the car that we could see. And he says, oh, there was a driver error that was the spin. Um, and then my gearbox failed. Right. Okay. And that does seem a bit of a coincidence. I would hope that what happened was something was approaching failure anyway and caused the spin to a certain degree. Um, and not the other possibility that the spin caused the failure in some weird way. Um, 
or it is possible that it is just coincidence, but it is a shame for Felipe Massa, not be, not only because he didn't get to finish the race, but because this was the first time of the season, I think, or at least in a while, that he out-qualified Fernando Alonso. Yeah, seven races, I think it was, so maybe I think he had one or two earlier on, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he he was doing well, and, uh, and I mean, then... poor Felipe. Just in general, it's a very lopsided situation at Ferrari in every possible way. Yeah, but then you know his case certainly has not been helped by all the crashes that he's had over the last number of runs, and this doesn't really even count as a crash because it wasn't a collision with anything, but just simply a failure. Um, but right at the beginning of the race, he was not able to even help his teammate by blocking traffic or right. be, you know taking points away from anyone else or just any of the ways that he could be useful, even if he's not the lead guy in the team. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of amazing. Um, so for the championship, Felipe Maza has 57 points. Alonso has 123. It's a wow. very big gap between those in terms of just, you know, and Ferrari, of course, really, really does care about constructors' championships um, in, in a way that, uh, I mean, Red Bull, it, okay, yeah, it's an energy drink company, and I'm sure, yeah, obviously they like winning championships, but Ferrari <laughs> as a car company, as a sports car maker, really puts a lot of value in being able to put those little plaques in the road cars that say, hey, this, here's the constructors' championships, here's the, you know, championship-winning cars that we've built, and, uh, the, you know, Massa is not helping that case right now, so um, his bosses in Marinello are probably not terribly thrilled about all that. That is so funny to think about the, yeah, but it's definitely true that uh, Ferrari has a much more intrinsic culturally deep level of interest in the Constructors' Championship. But uh, Red Bull definitely still wants to win it. Well, everybody wants to win it, sure. <laughs> I mean, you know. But uh, And then, of course, Mercedes, having not yet had a Constructors' Championship, um, or certainly not that I can remember, not, not since... Uh, since they've you know re- been reborn as Mercedes, Jim. Not since you were born. Yeah, you can say that. Um, but uh, you know, so you know, they, I'm sure they they would want to, and you know, that would be a great thing for them as a car maker as well. But you know, Ferrari, it's that's that's a huge part. You know, you get in, a, in any of the uh, Scuderia cars or whatever, and there's a little plaque that says the years they've won the championship. Whenever it's like just kind of a very special thing for them. So anyway, Massa, very you know, it's, this is a race to write off for him, and, and uh, certainly not brilliant, um, and. Uh, so Weber had the tire, uh, you know, wheel, uh, got unattached. He stopped at the end of the pit lane. They were able, and I thought at some point it may have been that his race was over. If, if he's, you know, stopped on track, then people aren't allowed to go get him and recover him. Or, or, you know, should he drive around the track on three wheels? Would that be less safe or whatever? Right. Um, but was he able was to continue, able to keep going, yeah. But he was dead last and lapped at one point. Then he got lucky with a safety car, um, which uh, he was able to get then get back around, get to the back of the field, which was like the best possible thing for him at that point. Oh, he needed that. I mean, he he had a big stroke of bad luck, and this was just a nice stroke of good luck to counteract the bad luck, really. Yeah. And that was thanks to a um, Jean-Eric Verne having a, a, frisk, a frisky... Uh, a frisky, unmanned formula car that just wanted to get back on track no matter what. It, that was an eager car. Oh, that was, yeah, Bianchi's car. That, uh, oh, was it Bianchi's had, car? had I'm a sorry, spectacular yeah. engine failure, which, again, we haven't seen uh, in, in a long time. But, uh, yeah, we did see his Cosworth give up the ghost uh, in, in spectacular fireball give fashion. Give up the ghost, and the cockpit found the ghost and <laughs> stuck it in the car and wanted to get going. Yeah. Fortunately, the ghost couldn't drive stick and uh, did not work out. Uh, really, Formula One cars have sticks in them in 2013. Is that computer is there a stick in with there? automated? Yes, yes. Okay. Listen, they have multiple clutches. We've been over this, <laughs> <laughs> and Weber has just finally figured out how to this use them. This is the second clutch. And uh, anyway, uh, that's what caused a safety car. Definitely bizarre, but you can't really argue with them. Yeah, it was a bizarre circumstance that uh, if you have cars rolling around that shouldn't be, yeah, safety car is probably the smartest thing to do. 
and that was enough. And Weber ended up finishing seventh. Um, although we cannot deny it, and we have to give the guy tons of respect for it, Sebastian Vettel, or Vettel, as uh, is technically correct, won the race, won his home Grand Prix, won his 30th Grand Prix, and drove very, very well. And he had to work for it, too. This was not a case of just getting out in front and staying out in front of, you know, like the single lap pace of a brilliant car. I mean, he was um, really being pushed by Kimi Raikkonen, who Absolutely. was right on the border of a second behind him in the closing stages of the race. And, and what, uh, Well, he was able to get, he was able to open up his durs a couple times on the last lap. Yep. And uh, and I think a, you know a handful of little sections before then he was just right on the on the boundary sometimes Absolutely. within sometimes without and uh, this was not a case where a lot of times you'll see sort of a, a five second or a ten second uh, penalty or uh, gap and then they'll just radio into Vettel and say um, oh yeah you know just just push a little bit more keep keep him going um, and he, and he can just turn up the wick a little bit more it's like no this was you know because they had the safety cars um, nobody was super close that on was fuel the prob- no they didn't put extra wick in his car yeah was it the wick darn it yeah I think his head was up maybe as well oh if dear if they told him I, to put his head down yeah then he would have uh, he would have been but anyway yeah so and Vettel, I don't Vettel think they warned they didn't warn him that Kimi Raikkonen was a good driver you know like oh he's good in the dry mm. yeah. Yeah, he's, he's all the, dry, the dry meister, as he's known. But, you know, even all the things that can be said first time he won the German Grand Prix, 30th win, all this kind of stuff, it's still fairly meh that Sebastian Vettel wins. He's – it's much to Vettel's credit. He's really, really, really good. And really, really, really good drivers tend to win. And uh, he gets lots of credit for that. But – that said, what's much more important to me or fascinating to me is how strong the Lotuses were in Kimi Raikkonen and Romain Grosjean. Mm-hmm. Um, McLaren's increase in pace or seemingly increase in pace. And uh, Like if there were two podiums, there would have been a McLaren on the second podium. On today. the second one, That's yeah. how good they were. Yes, just barely though. That is a sixth place finish for Jensen Button and eighth place for Checo Perez. Yes. Sweet. Very good. And... So credit where credit's due. And this was, again, I complained about this a little bit in the past. Uh, where's Jensen Button's clever strategy? Where is him thinking about the whole race distance and uh, making more intelligent decisions than some of his other competitors? And this was a great uh, example of that. This was Jensen Button. He got into Q3, but then made the decision. You actually predicted him for pole, didn't you? I, I, I did, amazingly kind enough. Of, uh, kind of. Hmm. And, yeah, it just didn't. I don't know, systems, you know, computers. Mm. It's like Twitter. Mm. So anyway, uh, he he ended up in uh, Q3, but then did the same thing that Ferrari did, uh, which was decided to go on the medium tire, not the soft tire. And unlike Ferrari, he was able to get, what, 20-plus laps out of his first stint, whereas the Ferraris are only able to get 14. So basically uh, really gave himself one less pit stop to worry about, and really allowed him to jump the field. He ended up being upset because he was running in the top five until the very end, but then got passed by Lewis Hamilton. And I think you read an article where Jensen Button complained about the caterums being very slow to get out of his way. Yeah. And you said that, you know, the traffic, the caterums did a bad job and blah, blah, blah. But uh, I'm not, you know, I mean, the, the traffic is partly a reality of racing, um, true. And uh, generally the same for everyone. I don't think we have any reason to believe that the caterums are, you know, a big Hamilton fans or something and think, oh, let's slow this guy down and th- not that guy. I mean, so is it is it the question that it should be easier for everyone? I mean, I, I, ideally, 
you know, if, if you could press a button as a backmarker car and just suddenly make yourself invisible so that the other guy could just drive right through, that would be great. But you can't. You have to be somewhere on track. You are still racing your own race. You have to try to let someone else through yes. but not compromise your own race. So you is, and I are two individual. We're, we're two smart guys. So I wonder if we could come up with that invention. Because they would love that. Just like a hydraulic thing that just lifts you like eight feet in the air. The other oh, car just like go go gadget arms, like except wacky, for the wheels. Wacky yeah. races. Um, but or, so I think it's you know it could be okay that a little bit of sour grapes that Hamilton was just more effective at dicing his way through the traffic and or caught them at a more convenient part of the track to get around. Right. Um, but it did seem like Hamilton just was able to um, get his car in there, make it work in certain ways, and, and just in the nick of time get around Jensen Button and sort of also the fact that uh, Hamilton and his team. Um, whether they saw it coming or not, you know, just weren't in cruise mode. They were not just, oh, let's maintain till the end of the race. They were like, in case there's a chance we can get up to catch up to the next guy and get around him, let's just keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. And I wonder if uh, McLaren even slightly misread uh, some of the timings and, and thought, okay, yeah, we're probably sort of comfortable here. Let's just dial it back a little bit or, or whatever. So it may have just been a combination of sort of strategy and just on track. How hard do I need to be pushing right now? Kind of information and, and or how how much you know, how much risk do I need to do to get around? The, the back markers and Hamilton may have just decided on a slightly higher level of risk and uh, yeah, you know, it worked out for everyone but here's uh, the, for Hamilton. Here's the thing that's really interesting to me, which I think could make a number of things more interesting, more challenging. Red Bull is once again kind of showing a little bit of dominance here. They just make really good cars and Fetzel is really, really, really good. And you have to say really three times for it to be emphasized correctly. And Weber's not bad either. And Weber's kind of – I. the problem slash awesome part about it is it is becoming much more difficult to choose who's the second fastest. Lotus doing as well as they did was very impressive. And I have to give real nice credit to Romain Grosjean to keep his head together, stay out of Kimi's way, yet still stay strong and end up on the podium. Mm-hmm. Lotus. And, and hold off uh, Alonso in the closing and hold stages off Alonso, as well. Absolutely. So Lotus did an excellent job. Alonso, his race was a little less consistent, but at the end of the day, he ended up fourth. And uh, you know the Ferrari certainly did not look like a total slouch. And having started eighth as well, I mean he was exactly. he was the last guy to set a lap. Uh, Jensen Button and actually also Hulkenberg made it into Q3, but then didn't set times because they're like, oh, screw it, we don't need to, you know, we're not going to gain enough by doing this. So Alonso, yeah, you know, tried his hardest to, to get the Ferrari where it was. And he said um, he sort of, um, you know, Ferrari outperformed today. You know, I mean, Alonso started eighth, was able to get up to fourth. Um, obviously, Massa, I don't think you could say outperformed anything today. But, right, um, well, but that, had you know, the potential to. But that this is sort of higher than the car deserved yet again. And I think he's probably right. I don't think that's just, you know, racing extent, driver nonsense because yeah. he's not, you know, eyeing for a Red Bull seat. Or maybe he is. But then, <laughs> of course, so that's that's Ferrari and Lotus that we just talked about. Of course, Mercedes, that makes Mercedes is still a strong candidate for pole. And... Uh, they do not have at least maybe they've lost a little bit with this most recent tire change, but they do not have the same uh, issues of falling back as badly as they did with race pace early in the season. Mm -hmm. So they're still strong. And then McLaren was claiming that they've been making progress. And I think this race result to have two people solidly in the point finishes the way they did to be able to move up positions and hold on to those positions. um, Let's just, for the moment, give Jensen the benefit of the doubt. He thinks it was a top. He thinks it was worthy of a top five finish. Just you know, uh, had a little bit of bad luck. They're now potentially in the mix if 
if they were right, this isn't a fluke and this was actual progress for them. Yeah. So that is four teams that have the additional power to potentially fight uh, for the top um, on occasion and to definitely fight amongst each other. So you've got Red Bull, then you've got these four other teams. That's five teams with real legitimate shots at very high positions and at the podium. Yeah, and curiously, actually, uh, as it stands now, Force India is 10 points ahead of McLaren Mercedes in the Constructor Championship. Right, right. Uh, which is kind of wild, and, and it's sort of great to see them as, as the, you know, they're not really youngsters in terms of teams anymore. I mean, Force India's really been around for a while, and certainly in its previous incarnations. But, uh, you know, compared to McLaren and the, the racing empire and so on, I mean, McLaren is ahead of STR, Sauber, uh, Williams, who's just been having a dreadful year this season. Yeah, they're a tough then one to look at. Marusha and Caterham um, uh, with, the, you know, the perennial back markers these days. But it's, I mean, you know, McLaren has 49 points and Red Bull has 250. It's just so, I mean, yeah. yes, making progress is, is great and all, but it's, uh, you know, they're just nowhere near really challenging um, the other teams. And to, to even get up, so so I think... McLaren probably will overtake Force India. Force India being 10 points ahead has 59 points, but Lotus is 100 points ahead of them. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's really Red Bull, Mercedes, Ferrari, Lotus. It's those four, and then it's just this drop-off to, uh, I mean, McLaren, I guess, is right now exactly solidly mid-pack, and unfortunately no no better than that, you know, <laughs> mixing it up with uh, between them and the Force Indias. Right, but they're, of all those teams, they probably have the biggest budget, or maybe second to Ferrari. And... If there's one team that you just listed with the resources to improve and improve throughout a season, I would put my money on McLaren. So it'll be interesting to see if it comes their way or if it continues to flounder about back and forth. And uh, I agree with you. I think there's a good chance McLaren will be able to surpass Force India. But Force India has to take some uh, deserve some credit, too. They've been a solid mid-pack team. They can really make some trouble in Q3. And that's also true these days of str str has uh continued to poke its nose in and poke its nose and make um you know make some pretty good results daniel ricardo in qualifying and uh Vern in race results although daniel ricardo did uh both things this time uh and again we're talking about 12th nothing phenomenal um force india absolutely and also nico hulkenberg in the sauber has been a threat on occasions so it's actually, in a lot of ways, if you peel back the top layer, there's a lot of fantastic racing going on. Yeah, and the there's been such uh, this roller coaster ride, which has partly been tires, um, and you know, and and I guess lack of testing is part of that. Which you could debate whether that's really a good thing or not. I mean, right. you know, if if all the cream rises to the top and it's always Red Bull that wins all the time because they test the best and then they race the best. That's not so exciting. And That's there is, the problem. They've been going fat-free. They've been using margarine instead of butter, which we all know is bad for you, trans fats. Okay. No cream? Come on. How's, what's going to go to the top if not the cream? I was trying to figure out where you're going with that. <laughs> anyway, I forget I like, what I – like two seconds after I say something, I already forget it. So I like fat things. Yeah, well, there you go. A little fatty and tasty. Uh, because, I mean, we've seen times, you know, STR being out in Q1 and the Sauber sometimes having terrible weekends. And then sometimes it really just comes together and clicks for them. Right. So, and again, the tire changes and everything shifts around. I mean, that tire, and I knew this from my vehicle dynamics past already. And uh, just from being a guy, and you're a guy, and guys have things. <laughs> yes. tires. Anyway, tires are hugely important. And uh, they tend to get... Uh, undersold when, it, when in terms of credit of how a car feels or behaves but they play a massive role even in a street car right 
a race car. Oh, man, they rely on tires in a big, big way. And a Formula One car is going to be, in my opinion, by far the most sensitive to what a tire's construction is like because these cars really are in a huge, huge set of rules trying to maximize in these little areas that they can. You could almost say that the tire is where the rubber meets the road. Wow, you that's could, deep. You could almost say that. That is. I don't think literally you could say that, but I think you could almost make that logical leap in terms of, uh, in, in, you know, just in the, in the, as a metaphor. You just caused me a second head injury because my mind is blown. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's Dangerous. how that conversation ends. <laughs> uh, with brain damage. Um, so anyway, uh, great race. Not right, as good I mean, as England. I'm sorry you missed England. I, I am also sorry I missed England. Um, the people I saw were our great friends, and they were coming from, um, uh, well, if you lived in Europe, they were the equivalent of coming from Kiev, uh, Ukraine, to England. They were they were actually in Nevada and came to Michigan, and that is less than 2,000 miles, but more than 1,500. Well, there you go. Yeah. So nice. shout out to Ukraine in there as well. Um, but more importantly, I did not go. I did do the show without you. And it's funny because you didn't even realize until like you called me for something else on Tuesday. <laughs> and be like, dude, we should get together and do a show. And I'm like, one step ahead of you, dude. So, um, you but were, anyway, so, so no, I did. I you did were not to, one step ahead of me. You were like four and a half steps ahead of me. Yeah. You were working on that fifth step when I called. And yeah, I was like, I've, oh, I got to make I've, some steps. I've here. already yeah, done the show and posted it online and tweeted about it and had, had feedback about it and everything by the time you even knew it was there. Um, and made you predictions and everything. I was trying to save you time. And you, um, yeah. <laughs> but I did not have fish and chips yet, nor did I even go for curry, the ultimate alternate British Grand Prix uh, direction. You can either yes. go like you know old school English or you can go with uh, the Indian English influence. Um, so either way, I, I did save that. So hopefully you know we can uh, we can square that away and actually well, properly. Clearly you saved the most important thing. Right. And uh, I, I must tell you, um, as a thank you, I, I wrote a poem. And uh, this is something. Seriously? That, yeah. <laughs> it actually the poem has nothing to do with you but i'm 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 going to try to express my creativity just a little bit more and um i would like to i would like to share with you now should i get like a bongo going or something Ooh, as like a background i would say no okay this is actually pretty terrible because i don't have a bongo <laughs> okay you know it's going to be good when it starts with this is going to be pretty terrible <laughs> uh <clears throat> Sebastian Vettel takes the win. It makes Christian Horner grin. And is much to Hamilton's chagrin. The new points gap is truly a sin. Red Bull looks strong. It surely won't be long till Vettel sings a fourth championship song. And buys a thong. Thank you! Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say. Jim is speechless, ladies and gentlemen. This is what it's like working with a writer and uh, someone who works, you know, plays with words for a living. This hey, is, uh... I'll have you know that I also hit my head. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and you really you know. wanted to communicate that through right, your, through exactly. your piece. I, okay, yeah, well, like, you know. 
Well, well done. Well, I mean, remember when you were like, okay, let's start the show, and I'm like, no, I'm not quite ready yet. That's what you were working this on? Is what I was wow. working well, that's what I, I Can you print that out for me? Because I have a spot on my fridge. I am just going to put that up, Yes. and you can write your name no, on it. No, I mean, I, I would think if, if something happens badly in the household and it's time to like ease the tension, make you feel better, just read this to your wife. And she'll, you know, it, come on, how can she not melt at this point? How could she not? It is like a dozen roses in a brand new vase. I... Think that we should just hear what our fans have to say. No, I wrote another poem. No, you didn't. No, but no. Okay. No, wait. We have a comment on the website from funwithcars.com from Dead Jedi, who's somehow still able to comment on web pages, uh, who says, Great show, thanks. And thank you for saying that. Um, yes. I'd, I'd hate to see Pirelli wear all the blame if it isn't their fault, but I think the damage might already be done. Four blowouts is pretty spectacular. And yeah, I think at the time it really did look like. This is really a Pirelli's, you know, whole issue. Um, but since then, uh, with some of these, uh, you know, findings that have come out about the camber angles, tire pressures, and swapping that people had been doing, um, I, I think we can more, you know, we can shift some of the blame to be, um, uh, you know, not just, okay, you know, everyone's doing everything right, and, uh, and, and the Pirelli tires are terrible, and they're unsafe. I think, right. I think it is sort of safe well, to... Well, I half agree with you. Like, absolutely... Absolutely. The teams were bearing some of the blame. The teams were trying to be as generous as they could be with themselves within the rules and everything. But at the same time, the tire shouldn't just fail the way it did. It should be able to hold on to you know various extremes. There should be a factor of safety baked into uh, the, you know, the tire performing at its optimum is one thing. The tire completely failing is, is quite another. And, uh, and Pirelli themselves were relatively mature in saying, okay, it's our fault for not more strictly enforcing these rules in the first place um, because they knew that it was tighter tolerances than maybe some of the teams predicted. Right. But just as you said, uh, the importance of tires on either a road car or especially on a race car and especially on a Formula One car, how, how much of a difference that makes, um, I think you can also extend that to – the directionality of the construction of a tire, sure, saying, sure. okay, a directional Absolutely. tire, that, that makes a big difference. And tire pressure, of course, and camber angle, really. I mean, all these, these three major factors um, are also a very important part. I mean, you can take what is, in some cases, a brilliant tire, and by changing, um, by putting it on backwards and or wrong pressure and or weird camber angle or whatever, completely change the performance of that. So, I, I mean, I agree. Yes, it is ultimately, I guess, Pirelli's, uh, you know, it's uh, some amount of Pirelli's fault to... To give the, everyone a working, uh, you know, working range, and to express how important that working range is. The the term "enough rope to hang yourself with" is the one that comes to my mind, and uh, they ended up getting it caught around their own neck as they gave that rope out and uh, right. choking themselves a little bit. And it is, I have to say, it's just amazing to think about how not long ago at all it was that we were on Bridgestones and they lasted, and it was totally boring. And they only changed tires once because they had to. They could easily last race distance. They could do whatever with the tire. There wasn't any uh, rubber on the road or clag, as we've heard it being called, ever because they just made these tires so darn good and reliable. So it's just amazing how, in a very uh, relatively, at least, short amount of time, we've gone from one extreme all the way to the other. Which, you know, was, of course, by design, because that was until Canada 2010, when all of a sudden it was like, ooh, the tires are going off. This is fun. Right. Let's do that some more, you right. know. And then the, then the Bridgestone contract ended at the end of that year, and it was Pirelli and the whole thing. So it's not, you know, I think it's – but also the testing 
um, has dramatically changed since then as well because there's always this been this, this renewed focus on resource restriction and making every other teams competitive and so on. And, you know, the beginning of 2012 was pretty fun um, in, uh, in all the different winners and different times and just uh, the craziness. Um, and, you know, we've had, uh, we've had some, you know, some, some good moments, although it's been a little bit lottery. Um, and now it's, you know, settled down in, in some different ways. So either way, um, yeah, it, it's, I don't think, hopefully Pirelli doesn't have all the blame. Um, but, uh, either way, thank you for the comment, Dead Jedi. And, uh, you know, keep, keep listening, man. Thanks for, uh, for the feedback. Absolutely. And on to Facebook. Um, so Jim, uh, the clever man that he is twice the words in half the time. It's a Jim show. The podcast of the British Grand Prix. That was your post about your uh, lonely podcast. I don't you think did. that counts as listener feedback if it's from the presenter, but well, no, it, it um, building up to the listener oh. feedback, and we had, we then forth had feedback from the kilt, Mister Popham, and uh, Eleanor Taylor, and Stuart Mitchell, and Mark Forrester, and Adam Bright, and Lori Jordan, and uh, Lori's I think sums it up the nicest by saying that is high praise indeed, and. Um, she was uh she was referring to uh <laughs> she was referring to the comment from Adam Bright that said, Love the show, Robin. Great pad- podcast for a great race. Bring on Germany. <laughs> Except that well, you know, Jim did the podcast. Well, but... I think she w- well, see this is where Facebook goes goes wrong because you can't always see who's re- replying to. I said Craig the Kilt was a better co host than you, Robin. Ah. And uh what she was saying was high praise, but I guess when you're not around then what could what good is a co host who's not even there? So uh, there you go. Whatever Facebook, it is what it is. But thank you for the uh, either way for the feedback, Lori. I will tell you at least. I will add a comment to that. I will be a listener. In fact, I was a listener, and I will leave feedback to you right now in saying that I thought it was a great show and I thought it was very clever. And as always, more generally, Facebook really is a fantastic place to be. We are approaching fourteen hundred um, old people followers on Facebook. Yes, people that are old enough to make. You know, make their own decisions like adults. And th- there was another thing on the Facebook page that I thought was um, worth mentioning. Uh, and Jim, this is something you found again. Uh, film yesterday at Robin's office. Is this the best Seb interview ever? And uh, that's from like a year ago, dude. That was June eleventh. Yeah, exactly. That's not a year. Oh, at the pace I live my life, <laughs> it's a quarter mile at a time, man. <laughs> so dog's years are for chumps. You are more of like dog and a half's years because they're I, one to every... I live in ferret years. Oh, but anyway. Oh, ferret years. Okay, fair enough. Anyway, yes. Uh, I just wanted to point out that, yes, uh, that is my office at, in the background, and that is my uh, boss in the foreground. And that is uh, Christian Horner and Sebastian Vettel in Ann Arbor at my office. It was crazy. Did you touch the bouffant? I did not touch the bouffant. Oh, that's I know. too bad. It was a very strict rule. I was uh, uh, I was off camera and very nearby when that happened, and it was very cool to see. And uh, we might, I might have a couple more things to say about that in the future. But I just wanted to thank Facebook and the comments again for uh, saying things and doing things because it was cool. Yes, and as usual for the uh, more enlightened uh, internet citizens, uh, we had a great conversation going on Twitter um, on hash fun with cars. Yeah, um, I meant to ask you, how is the um, kids' version of our show doing? Oh, it's great. Yeah, is it like a Teletubbies type of deal, or is it more of a... No, it's an intelligent conversation with uh, both existing followers and new followers that find their way to us through Twitter, which is oh, why Oh, so more of a SpongeBob type of thing. That's why it's so great. Um, but Laurie Jordan was involved there as well. Uh, the Pain Train, James Payne, was uh, was following along. We had... Uh, the Pain a- Train! 
Yes. Also, that, I'm sorry. That's the Mountain Dew talking. Ah, got it. Because it sounded just like you, but that was weird. Um, also, <laughs> Ryan Higgins, Andrew Baines, uh, Bainesy, as it were, um, were, were taking part in um, watching wait, the wait, race. Wait, 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 wait. Why is it Bainesy? Because, again, that's like the childhood equivalence. To, you know what I'm saying? Like his name's Andrew Baines. But no, I'm Bainesy. And I'm seven. Twitter, Twitter. Are you finished? Yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh man! Yeah, so, I am loopy. You better wrap this up. Well, especially around when when Bianchi's car uh, was then you know uh, reversing itself down the hill and across the track. Um, that's sort of you know one of the things you're, you're watching on screen, like ah, what it shout at something. And so Twitter is the perfect thing to shout at because then there's other people who can shout at it with you. Ah, uh, yes. And uh, so people, man, imagine what would happen if uh, if someone had hit that car. I mean, yeah, who are you going to exchange insurance information with if there's no one driving the car? You know, it's just it was driving backwards down the track. So thankfully, uh, nothing nothing too crazy came of that whole situation. But uh, you know, they called the safety car very quickly, and uh, were able to get that resolved. But uh, you know, thank you very much for following along. As you probably noticed, um, I was not on. Uh, neither of us were on Twitter during the race this time because we had to watch the race just a little bit delayed. And I've always definitely made that mistake before, where I, I sit down to watch the race an hour or two after it's happened. I'm like, oh, let's just you know follow along with Twitter. And of course, the race is already done on Twitter. And uh, time travel is hard. So anyway, thank you, as always, for taking part. And uh, that is generally the best place for following along as things happen is Twitter because it's, you know, you sort of post things and they, and they, and they fall off more quickly, where Facebook is, is for bigger events and bigger things that we're doing. But as always, just visit funwithcars.com. And from there, there are links to the Facebook page. You can comment right on the post there. Links to Twitter and a YouTube channel as well, where yes. from time to time we post videos. And that's actually going to our new YouTube channel, which now has a, a, a named after Fun With Cars, as opposed to some old F1 something or other that sounds very trademarked and uh, dangerous. What something or other? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Some Formula One World Championship owns and operates. We are solely a fan-run organization. We are a third and independent and have nothing to do with Formula One, but we simply broadcast and discuss what happens in Formula One in a very unofficial way. F1, Formula One, Formula One with a number, FIA, Formula One World Championship, Grand Prix, and related marks are trademarks of Formula One licensing BV. This website is unofficial and not associated in any way with the Formula One group of companies. But yes. if you go to the YouTube channel, we have it's all the new logo and the new stuff, and no longer uh, infringes on trademarks that we know of. So <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, if you if you do subscribe to us on YouTube, then uh, unfortunately we are not able to just switch that over like we were with Facebook and Twitter. Um, yes. You will have to find us on YouTube. Um, so just go to funwithcars.com, click the YouTube button, and that will be the new channel, which for, for now just has our lap of the New Jersey Street Circuit, the Port Imperial Street Circuit. Although it is uh, it is modified slightly, uh, it is we did shorten it by a minute and uh, made it sweet. And by the way, you know, this is not a bad time to get a reminder of what that place is like. Right. It's going to be a while before, we, you know, it's going to be next year, uh, you know, 11 months from now or so. Right. It will be there. But, uh, yeah, it's sort of, a, you know, still a cool track and our fun little video of going around it. Um, but more importantly, you know, as we come up with new and more interesting videos down the road, then it'll be good to be subscribed to that as well. And thank you for following along. I think we should do predictions. Oh, yes. This is turning into kind of a fun game for me this year. I don't know what to say. Uh, yeah, and yeah, I have yeah. to say... You don't even remember who you predicted today. You were thinking you had Rosberg, but I you did, didn't. No, I and... thought I had Rosberg. I was like, oh, man, I got hosed. And you were like, no, I got hosed. You were fine. I think you still had Maldonado for the win, but I guess we can talk about that later. I had Maldonado for the win in my heart, but my brain uh, overtook and said, no, no, no. That's not going to be what it was. It was going to be Sebastian Vettel. 
And turns out my brain still has a correctly firing cell or two because that was exactly the case. And uh, if I do remember, your your brain said the same thing. For the win, yes. So you and 21 others um, predicted that Hamilton would be on pole and Vettel would win. So for this may be a record number of zero-point scorers, which, of course, is the best you can do. Um, uh, for people that, yeah, they all got exactly correct with Hamilton on pole, Vettel for the win. So you were at the top of that, which actually improves your lead overall in the predictions game. You now have a 10-point lead. You are in first place, and, uh, and, and Ryan Higgins is in second with, uh, with 38 points, Fraser McDonald in third with 41. You are top step of the podium right now for well, the predictions game. And I'm glad you brought that up because uh, we were discussing this at length earlier, and I believe you're correct. It, let's just go ahead and call the predictions game now. Let's just call the winner. Let's be done with it because my lead is clearly insurpassable. Dude, we are not even halfway in the season. And, you need to um, stop that. And so I think just, yes, I won, and many cokes to me. And uh, thank, thanks, everyone, for playing. It was great. Hey, yeah. where did you finish, by the way? So for Germany, oh. um, the, so we had also a lot of people went Vettel Vettel for Germany, which only scored one point, and there were so you have to go to page two to get into the like okay the, these people got one point, and you could be um, picking something like Hamilton Rosberg, you get eight points. You're still on page two. Uh, you have to go back to page three. I was the 68th best predictor. Oh, jeez. Uh, although I mean I guess there were a lot of people that came with me uh, going Rosberg Vettel, so for ten points. Um, a few Alonzo Alonzos as well, also 10 points. Um, so not so brilliant. Uh, yet again, I, uh, I earned 10 points, which did not help my case. Uh, Damien was better than me. Uh, Damien uh, f- figured it would be Hamilton Rosberg for 8 points and uh, was tied for 63rd place. Um, so overall, though, um, Damien did extend his lead over me. Um, as I mentioned, you are in first place, which yes. is uh, just no, no good for anyone. Um, <laughs> Damien is 54th. And I am 56th um, with 91 points. So I got some I got some predicting to do and better than I previously have to try to improve what's going on. Well, a, I believe you may just be in luck, uh, and but maybe not. No, probably not. The Hungaro Ring is a bit of a different course. It is a unique situation yet again. It is small. Two and a half miles long, tighter corners, this kind of thing. So... Traditionally, it doesn't tend to favor um, the exact same teams that you tend to get used to in the picking order. Um, And because there are such huge question marks on the tires and how the teams are reacting to the tires, and because we have such a a a, a long break in between this race and the next, a lot really could uh, could change and affect the results of what's going on. That said, my prediction is probably still going to be considered by most a pretty darn safe one, because I think. Well, it should be right. I mean, if you're you're in the lead, um, you know, there's no reason for you to go crazy at this point. Well, but and I, go risky. The the ironic thing about that is, I go crazy, uh, the same way I go crazy every time, and I just pick what I think will most likely happen. Which I don't think it's going crazy, nor ironic, but anyway. I think Sebastian Vettel is going to be on pole, and I think he's going to go on and win the race. So you think he's going to outdo the Mercedes for qualifying? I do, and I can give you a reason if you'd like. Go for it. The reason is that because it's such a tight place and because top speed is less important here um, and it is more about how well and efficient your car is through the corners, 
I think the one weakness that Red Bull might have is fast places, such as Monza, let's say. Um, and Hungaroring is the exact opposite of that. You know who has won at Monza? Sebastian Vettel. You know who has not won at Hungary? Sebastian Vettel. So, okay, go for that. That's a brilliant prediction. That is Stick my with prediction. It. Yeah. Um, I, I did look at who won last year, and it was Lewis Hamilton mm-hmm. in a McLaren, which, you know, has things to – you could put on that if you want. You could add a little spice to that and come and up in, with a prediction. And in 2009 and in 2007 – uh, all were Lewis Hamilton victories. Um, in between there, there was, of course, uh, Jensen Button's first win in a Honda in 06. Remember, yes. with a kind of wet, dry race. And also, like, we don't know what the weather's going to be there yet anyway. That's true. Could be crazy, um, which doesn't really help either of us for predicting because we don't know how it's going to affect anyone. That's even more true. But um, I think Hamilton's going to do well again. I think, oh. um, you know, seeing I was wrong about him being on pole this time, which doesn't necessarily mean he's going to do well next time. But um, I think that he is going to have that magic and make it work for pole position. Unfortunately, I guess I agree with Damien on that one, so I'm not going to pull ahead with him there. But Damien stupidly is thinking that Vettel is going to win, like some kind of chump. Yeah. Clearly, he's not. Ooh. I'll just go. I'm going to go Ham, Ham, man. I'm going to say Hamilton all the way. Well, Ham is tasty. Yes. And I bet Ham would be good in Hungarian goulash. Probably. Because when when were you eating something? You're like, yeah, the problem with this thing, too much ham. Yeah, that I don't think that's ever that happened to me. It's like, often. you know, you have some whatever, maybe it's goulash, maybe it's a sandwich. And it's like, you know what, ham, yeah, that's pretty good. Okay, quick discussion. Top tier, yay or nay? Um, I, I, feel, I, I like it. Um, I'm, I, it's obviously there's, there's, it rhymes with Top Gear, and that's exciting. Um, yes, but we are not affiliated with Top Gear in any way, shape, or form. Any way, shape, or form. BBC is a totally separate entity, and we are not trying to infringe upon any trademarks. Living You're or infringing. Living or dead. We are infringe-free. Any similarity is purely coincidental. Um, if it's a tonight on Top Tier, then we can go through <laughs> the whole thing. Um, Brought to you by Rare Me Slarkson. Yes. Um, so, who's yeah, named I, Rare Me anyway? Uh, who's named Robin? In, in that um, <laughs> all right, so our predictions are in well ahead of the Hungarian Grand Prix. Um, it's always fun. If your predictions are as well, so go to facebook.com uh, slash FWCars and click on the predictions app. I'm pretty sure you guys know how to do it by now. And it's and, kind of the place to be, isn't um, it? It is totally the place to be. And I, fee- I see uh, you know, several people have, have missed it. Of course, with these back-to-back races, it's easy to, uh, uh, it's easy to sort of forget and do your prediction. But... Um, the best advice on that is that right as you hear our show or after the previous race has been – after any race has been finished, um, it's not a bad idea to go in there and put some halfway reasonable prediction, you know, whatever seems like the prediction at that time. Because you can – you, Robin, you and I cannot, but our other listeners can go back in after the um, – after the initial prediction and update it right up until Friday practice. Yes. So if you put in a prediction now um, and uh, and then later as we say, oh, look, it's going to rain, and I think that means that blah, blah, blah is going to happen or whatever, um, or if somehow Red Bull says, oh, we're no longer participating in this event, then uh, you, know, you as a chump will be stuck with Vettel, but I won't be <laughs> um, because our predictions are set in MP3, as it were, and uh, listeners' predictions are not. So anyway, um, if you're hearing and our one voice – one more thing I do actually want to add, speaking of predictions and your ability to be more awesome uh, – between Damien and Jim Lau and myself, there's only two people that we've predicted. Right. So if one of those guys crashes then, or you know, fails to qualify or whatever, then somebody's getting screwed up. One or all of us is hosed. Uh, Damien's going to freaking win this week, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, so here's hoping for, yeah, well, Hamilton, Hamilton. That's, that's what I'm going for. I'll wear my Hamilton shirt for the next race and everything. Although I won't be in town for it, so you may have to take over the podcast in my absence and uh, – and who knows what will happen from there. But I mean, based on my creativity for this one, it would be 
I'm sure nothing short of Who the whole show could rhyme. <laughs> yes. Maybe you will have the bongos for next time. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. As always, please stop by funwithcars.com. Let us know what you think, and we will be in touch with you soon. Till then, I am Jim Lau. And I am Raman Warner. Auf Wiedersehen.